the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A federal judge orders the DOJ to release a redacted version of the affidavit used in the Mar-a-Lago raid. I don't think we're ever going to see what's in this search warrant application or not much. Governor Ron DeSantis weighs in on student debt forgiveness. Waitresses, they're going to be on the hook to pay the student loan of somebody who got a Ph.D. in gender studies. Mark Zuckerberg tells Joe Rogan Facebook buried the Hunter Biden laptop story. So this is a government thumb on the scale of these big tech companies. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, August 26th. I'm Mike Scott. A judge has ordered the Justice Department to release a redacted version of the Mar-a-Lago search warrant affidavit by noon today. The affidavit lays out why investigators believe there was probable cause that crimes had been committed. The warrant authorized the FBI to search former President Donald Trump's home and private club earlier this month. Reporter Ken Delanian explains what happens next with the affidavit. Well, we know two things now, Andrew. We don't have to say appears anymore because the chief spokesman for the Justice Department just sent out a statement acknowledging that this filing that we're seeing in the docket is, in fact, the sealed uh, proposed redactions to the affidavit. And he says the DOJ respectfully declines further comment as the court considers the matter. And then secondly, we know that prosecutors uh, apparently are procrastinators like the rest of us because they took every minute of the time they had up until the deadline to file this thing. And of course, now we wait and see what the judge does. And there are a couple of possibilities here. Uh, The judge could um, agree with whatever set of redactions the Justice Department has proposed and and, and put out this document even as soon as today. Um, uh, Or he could decide that it's so heavily redacted that it doesn't make sense to put it out, which is something he alluded to in his written opinion. And then the third possibility is if, if the judge disagrees with the proposed redactions and wants to pare some of them back, he said that he would give the Justice Department a chance to appeal that. And that would all happen under seal. So we wouldn't see anything except maybe a notation that that was happening, and then it could be weeks or months as the appeals play out. Earlier Thursday, the DOJ submitted its proposed redactions to Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhart, who issued the order for the public release. However, Justice Department prosecutors say they need secrecy so as not to disrupt the ongoing criminal investigation. In his order, Reinhardt said the Justice Department convinced him that portions of the affidavit should remain sealed because disclosure would reveal, one, the identities of witnesses, law enforcement agents, and uncharged parties. Two, the investigation's strategy, direction, scope, sources, and methods. And three, grand jury information. Harmi Dillon, chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association, joined Fox News to discuss the affidavit. 
First of all, I think you're going to see virtually nothing uh, after the redactions are presented to the judge. Uh, I think that the judge will take a look and see whether he agrees with the redactions or not, and then there'll be some back and forth. So ultimately, though, what we're seeing here is not some sort of outrageous uh, change of behavior by the DOJ. This is actually their their existing way that they deal with requests like this. They, they typically stonewall. They typically hold all the cards. They never want to show a target or a defendant what they have. And they're very rarely held accountable, including by magistrate judges. And so this judge, you have to remember, signed off on an application to seal this entire search warrant. The, the predicate at that time was, well, you know, somebody might destroy evidence, which is kind of nonsense since President Trump, who presumably they're aiming at, wasn't at Mar-a-Lago and hasn't been for some time. Dylan explains why she believes that if Americans do see what's in the affidavit, it won't be much. And so I think that the, the judge, uh, I was pleasantly surprised that he asked for any redactions at all and is considering un, un, unveiling it, but I wouldn't hold my breath. And here's why. Because even where a search warrant may be uh, un, unveil, un, unveiled, the affidavit rather, if it involves national security or alleged national security information, it is often the case that even after an indictment, the search warrant affidavit is restricted to the target of that investigation or the defendant in that case and their lawyer. So I don't think we're ever going to see what's in this search warrant application or not much. Dylan goes on to say that while some speculate the DOJ may try to indict Donald Trump, there will be some hesitancy due to the political ramifications. If you believe that uh, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, is not a great actor, and indeed he was as rattled as he looked a week ago in his press conference, maybe they are having political second thoughts about this and backing off because uh, this is actually behavior that the DOJ's own hallowed internal guidelines say that they should not do in advance of an election, uh, try to affect the outcome of an election with this type of a, you know, 30 FBI agent raid for information that they obviously could have come for much earlier, and they did, in fact, come for months earlier. And so maybe they'll back it off for political reasons. But I personally think that for the Democrats, they cannot quit Trump. And this is good box office for them. And so even if they hit the pause button on it, I do think that they're going to pursue this after the midterms, if not before. The U.S. military said Wednesday it carried out airstrikes in eastern Syria that targeted areas used by militias backed by Iran's paramilitary Revolutionary Guard. Opposition war monitor the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said those airstrikes targeted the Ayash camp run by a group made up of Shiite fighters from Afghanistan. The war monitor reported that at least six Syrian and foreign militants were killed in the airstrikes, while another report said ten were killed. A few hours later, Syrian state media reported that two U.S. bases in that part of Syria had been shelled by artillery. Neither the U.S. nor Iran immediately confirmed the attack. Undersecretary for Defense Policy Colin Call says the airstrike on Syria was necessary. Uh, the strike was necessary to protect and defend U.S. personnel in Syria, uh, which have been the targets of several recent attacks by Iran-backed uh, uh, militia groups, including the most recent ones on August 15th. Call says that Syria coordinated strikes against two U.S. facilities at the same time. Our concern was that um, this might be an indication that, it, that Iran intends to do more of this, and we wanted to disabuse them of any sense that that was a good idea. Call says the airstrike on Syria was precise 
Our response was proportionate and precise. Uh, it was designed to minimize the risk of casualties, and it uh, responded to, uh, to the nature of the attacks uh, by Iran-backed militia groups. On Wednesday, President Joe Biden announced that he would cancel student loan debt for some borrowers for giving up to $20,000 in student loans for those who qualify for Pell Grants and $10,000 for all other borrowers earning less than $125,000. The announcement has not been short of its critics, with many economists weighing in and warning for the potential that debt forgiveness may impact the already steep inflationary trend that Americans are seeing. Adding her voice to the detractors, President Donald Trump's former education secretary is not happy with the Biden administration loan forgiveness announcement. Student loan forgiveness is something Betsy DeVos has been critical of for some time. While she served as head of the education department, she released a memo that determined Donald Trump did not have the authority to enact broad student loan forgiveness. While many Democrat lawmakers and advocates lauded the relief as a significant step toward combating $1.7 trillion in student loan debt, DeVos did not see it in that light, calling it 100 percent illegal. But DeVos isn't the only one who has thought as much. Back in July of 2021, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi went on record as saying Joe Biden does not have the power to cancel student loans. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would has to be an act of Congress. Mary Davis, Deputy Solicitor General of Ohio and former legal advisor to former President Donald Trump, says that the Biden plan to forgive student loans will be met with legal challenges. Everyone's going to sue. Um, you're going to have various groups, you know, from, you know, Mary, maybe states to individuals to people who privatize their loans to people who already paid their loans, uh, people not eligible, people who make $130,000. But the question is going to be standing, and I think that there are going to be some difficulties there because in order to get uh, your foot in the door in court, you have to say that you were injured and the court can do something about it. So basically someone punched me in the face and now I want some money as a remedy. But one of the problems here with standing is that the people who you know aren't benefited by this, it's hard to say that they're harmed. They're basically exactly the same as they were yesterday. Uh, but, you know, that, that's not necessarily true. You've made a lot of life decisions that actually have harmed you. Um, but, but certainly standing is going to be the difficult part. Davis goes on to explain what the HEROES Act is and what the Biden administration is using to facilitate, through the HEROES Act, student loan debt cancellation. Let's divorce whether you can sue from whether it's illegal, because I think Certainly it's illegal. Uh, when you hear Nancy Pelosi talking about he can delay, what she's talking about is this law called the HEROES Act that says that people can't be put in a worse place financially because of a national emergency, essentially. So that means as you go off to war, you shouldn't be put on worse place financially. You shouldn't have your loans accrue during that time. You shouldn't have all these administrative requirements. 
but you can't be, you know, there's not a boondoggle. You can't sort of make money off of this. So that I think the law is pretty clear that, that this is illegal. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis joined the Salem Radio Network and also weighed in on student loan debt forgiveness, saying there are several reasons to oppose President Biden's plan, starting with the fact that it's unconstitutional. And I don't think that that's something Biden cares about, but he doesn't have the authority to do this, too. You're going to be having plumbers, people that have their own small businesses, waitresses. They're going to be on the hook to pay the student loan of somebody who got a Ph.D. in gender studies. I mean, give me a break. Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, revealed that the FBI warned the Facebook platform about Russian propaganda ahead of the bombshell Hunter Biden laptop story leading up to the 2020 presidential election. Appearing on the Joe Rogan Experience, Zuckerberg was asked about Facebook's suppression of the New York Post reporting. Zuckerberg argued that when it came to burying the Hunter Biden story, Facebook took a different approach to the story than Twitter did. So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team. It was like, hey, um, just so you know, like, you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said, you can't share this at all. Um, we didn't do that. What, what we do is we have, um, if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. Zuckerberg says that Facebook did what they could because they simply took what the FBI said seriously. A lot of people were still able to share it. We got a lot of complaints that that was the case. Um, you know, obviously this is a hyper-political issue, so depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much, but right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. We just kind of thought, hey, look, if, if the FBI, which you know, I still view as a legitimate institution in this country, it's a very professional law enforcement, they come to us and tell us that we need to be on guard about something, then I want to take that seriously. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, no, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. Kara Frederick, director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, joined the Salem Radio Network to discuss tech censorship. So there's a bunch of layers to the censorship issue. And the way I like to describe it as there's an information access issue and then there's an information manipulation and suppression issue. So the access issue, you can go all the way down to the bottom of the tech stack, which is what nerds uh, like us talk about when it comes to digital platforms are sitting at the top, they're resting on servers like cloud hosting services infrastructure, and then those are dependent on internet service providers. So when you look at something like what happened to Parler, this is a massive thing with regard to censorship, right? But it cuts to the information access point. 
if Amazon Web Services can yank their cloud hosting servers, from, can yank Parler from their servers, then that ceases to exist as it was originally conceived. I mean, Parler's back now, but they're under a lot of strictures and they haven't even gained the 4% of growth that they were getting in those early days of January 2021. So the access issue huge. Frederick says that research has been done on censorship of conservatives that proves that tech companies have a bias. Conservatives have have been on the defensive here. You know, people will say, oh, it's all in your head. It's not really happening. But we actually have the data to show that this is happening and it's happening at a grand scale. So the Media Research Center found that Twitter and Facebook censor Republican members of Congress at a rate of 53 to one compared to Democrat members of Congress. You have a recent study coming out of NC State that says Google sends two thirds of conservative or Republican candidates political messages to your spam compared to Democrats. So, you know, these are just two instances and I can go on and on and on. You know, the Hunter Biden laptop story, the the Wuhan lab leak that was censored. So there's so many, not just anecdotal instances, but now we're actually able to say that this matters when it comes to the data. We can put ratios to this stuff. Frederick says, in her opinion, tech companies are acting as a wing of the government. So this is a government thumb on the scale of these big tech companies. So when they're acting and saying we're just private companies, actually you're acting as quasi-state actors by responding directly to censorship demands on behalf of the Biden administration. And there's many more examples of this, some even at the state level too. So Congress, let's make a law to prohibit government use of these private companies to chill speech. It's unconstitutional as the legal case uh, Norwood versus Harrison demanded. The government cannot outsource to private entities what itself cannot do under the Constitution, and that would be through the Bill of Rights and the free speech. Facebook has used its so-called community standards to silence House GOP criticism of the president's student debt loan cancellation. Daybreak Insider's Bob Agnew has more from Capitol Hill on this story. The House GOP judiciary account tweeted, Wow, Facebook says our post about paying back loans violates their community standards. The post in question read, If you take out a loan, you pay it back, period. Far more critical words have been heard from all quarters, with conservatives blasting Biden's plan as everything from wildly unfair to a slap in the face, even an attempt to buy votes for Democrats. Some conservatives say Facebook's action represents an effort by liberal-dominated big tech to silence conservative thought and speech. Bob Agnew reporting. President Joe Biden held a kickoff rally Thursday in an effort to try and boost Democrats' flagging chances in the midterm elections 75 days out from voting day. It comes as Democrats see their political hopes in a bit of a rebound amid a legacy-defining burst of action by Biden and some in Congress. At a news conference, White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says the president will use the rally to tout historic legislation by the Democrat-led Congress. Tonight, the president will lay out the choice before Americans. Uh, He'll highlight how he and congressional Democrats have delivered results for working families. Jean-Pierre says the president is drawing a distinction between Democrats and Republicans. 
People say what they are still fighting for is protecting a woman's right to choose, not a national ban on abortion, which we have seen from the other side, the safety of kids in school, not protecting the honor NRA, as we've seen from the uh, Republicans, uh, and the right to vote and have the, that vote counted. And Jean-Pierre says the elderly president is looking forward to the rough and tumble campaign trail. He wants to be out there and travel as much as possible. He has something that he wants to, to, to say and deliver and let the American people know that we have done. Jean-Pierre says the president will compare accomplishments by Democrats to the GOP vision for America. The president will contrast that, that with congressional Republicans and their extreme MAGA agenda, taking away our rights, defending the super rich and corporations, and putting Social Security and Medicare on the chopping blocks. That is the plan that they have put forward. And as you know, he always quotes his dad, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. The alternative to congressional Democrats and President Biden is MAGA Republicans. So that is what you're going to hear from him this evening. At the end of his speech, Biden said Democrats, independents, and mainstream Republicans have to save America from so-called MAGA Republicans. I'll close with this. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. This is why in this moment, those of you who love this country, Democrats, independents, mainstream Republicans, we must be stronger, more determined, and more committed to saving America than the MAGA Republicans are destroying America. However, Hugh Hewitt, host of the Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network, says in his opinion... There are a few key issues that voters will be concerned with in the upcoming midterm elections. This fall's election are going to be fought on six very big issues. The three A's and the three E's. Affordability, and you know that means inflation, the cost of groceries and gas. Anxiety, are you worried about crime in your neighborhood? Are you worried about the border? Anger, over the indifference of elites, especially elite media, legacy media, ignoring those ordinary Americans who have made these campaign issues central, but which are not covered in the legacy media. The three E's are, of course, energy, that gas price, ESG. The left is trying to take over corporate America and make them do an activist agenda at the expense of your retirement portfolios. And then finally, and most importantly of all, education. The out-of-control education establishment, teachers' unions and school administrators and superintendents who mask kids in closed schools and have cost them an entire year. The three A's and the three E's are going to define this year's election, and I encourage you, keep them in mind as you make your choices. Salem Media certainly hopes you will. The coffee giant Starbucks is in hot water with the National Labor Relations Board. Daybreak Insider's Bill Alexander has more on this brewing story. A regional office of the National Labor Relations Board says Starbucks is violating U.S. labor law by withholding pay hikes and other benefits from stores that have voted to unionize. The Labor Board's Seattle office filed a complaint Wednesday against Starbucks based on charges filed by Workers United, the union trying to organize Starbucks' 9,000 company-owned stores in the United States. The complaint is one of at least 20 that the NLRB regional offices have filed against Starbucks, alleging unfair labor practices. Starbucks has also filed complaints against the board and the union. 
And finally, a new study suggests that man's best friend may actually cry tears of joy when reunited with their owners. Dogs have always been able to show us when they're happy, usually by wagging their tails and jumping. But new research suggests there may be another way that dogs show joy, producing tears. Well, dogs may cry tears of joy when they reunite with their owners, according to a new study. Researchers in Japan measuring and compared dogs' tears before and after a meeting with their owners. The dogs were separated from their owners for five to seven hours. Researchers found the dogs' tears increased significantly when they were reunited with their owners compared to the average level. And then on top of that, analysts said dogs and their owners released oxytocin, better known as the love hormone, yeah. <clears throat> during their reunion. See, that makes sense. It does. The, the dogs, it, it seems like they think you're never coming back. I know. And when you do, it's like, oh, tears good, you again. According to the study, researchers found that dogs produce significantly more tears after being reunited with their owners compared to when their owners stayed at home with them. While some scientists are finding the study a little hard to swallow, most seem to agree that a pup's tears influence their relationship with their owners. In an unrelated experiment, scientists had 74 human participants rate photos of dogs, and they found they expressed more interest in caring for teary-eyed pups. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.